Are you ready? Ready to release internal pain? To find confidence, clarity, and direction for your future? To live a life of meaning, fulfillment, and contribution? To trust your intuition again, but something's been holding you back? You've come to the right place. Welcome. I'm Ian Hawkins, the host and founder of the Grief Code podcast. Together, let's heal your unresolved or unknown grief by unlocking your grief code. As you tune in to each episode, you will receive insight into your own grief, how to eliminate it and what to do next. Before we start, I have one request. If any new insights or awareness land with you during this episode, please send me an email at info at ianhawkinscoaching.com and let me know what you found. I know the power of this work and I love to hear the impact these conversations have. Okay, let's get into it. Big message today from my interview with Steve Hall was about self-responsibility, taking responsibility. And as for the uh, long-term listeners of this podcast, you know that's something I am very passionate about and talk about a lot. Well, Steve may well be more passionate about it. You'll hear in this chat just how important that it is in your life, that how important it's been in his life and having to go through a awful experience where he was basically forced to move away from his family the fear and the the numbness and the what he called it described like being like a zombie for for a good few years the impact that it had on him and then coming out the other side and all he's learned from that tremendous wisdom here from steve hall particularly his focus around helping men so if you're a man or you are very close to one then uh, you'll think you'll get a heap out of this enjoy Hey everyone, and welcome to this week's guest, Steve Hall. How are you, Steve? I'm really good, thank you, Ian. Good to hear. Just from the initial chat we've had, uh, already uh, feeling like this is going to be an absolute cracker. We do similar work, passionate about helping men, particularly those who don't always tend to speak up for themselves. So I'm, I'm looking forward to us to opening up that conversation and talking about how important it is. So I know every person that's that works in this space has their own backstory. So, Steve, how how was it that you came to have a, well, I guess it's a calling to want to help people in this space? Yeah, um, that's a great question, Ian, because is it a calling? Is it what I was meant to do at the beginning of my life when I found my way to it? Or ha- have I been sent down this road for a reason? I'm not sure which one it is. but All, all of yeah. the above, perhaps. I absolutely love where I'm at, so I'll, I'll share the story about how I got here. Um, in another lifetime, a long time ago, um, I had a 40-year career. I was working for Telstra. 20 years was out in the field being a linesman. I loved that. And the next 20, were, uh, I got into management. Um, have I, I got married and had four daughters, and we lived in the country. Life seemed idyllic to me. I was content. I was happy. And I thought that this will get me through to retirement and everything will be diddly, diddly good, whatever the words, <laughs> whatever the saying is. And uh, But about 14 years into my marriage, things started turning out differently to, to what I'd imagined. And I, and I got challenged because um, for the next five years, um, our family was dealing with a, a mental illness inside the family. And it ripped us apart because we didn't know that we were dealing with a mental illness, um, but there was crazy um, mixed up stuff happening and just the family got torn to bits and imploded. My wife and I are now divorced. Um, 
but in a, in a good way uh, for a good reason. But this is just part of the story. The other half of the story was during all that, and there was a lot of sadness, grief, trauma, and everything involved in that. But during that time, I lost my job too, which was the, the only steadying influence I, I believed I had at that time. It's really wow. relying on it. Um, but I had to, at the same time, I was running running the show in, in place of the manager who'd stepped aside for the time. So I ended up having to uh, redund 25 of my colleagues and uh, turn off about 60 contractors at the same time who had, you know, they, they needed the business also. So that that was really hard for me to do, and I left myself without a job. Luckily, I had a lifeline thrown to me, and I was I went for a job, but it was hundreds of kilometres away with Telstra again, being a, a manager in another area. So I took that lifeline, but it meant moving hundreds of kilometres away from my family who still needed me desperately because uh, two of my daughters were still living at home and in, in a great deal of trouble trying to deal and, with the, the problems that hadn't been sorted out. How old, how old were they, sorry? uh one was 11 and one was 13 at the time yeah so wow that's very tough, yeah. yeah absolutely yeah. why why bother telling this story is is not for sympathy or anything like that everyone has their own story uh, like you yeah. said you know most people in our position have a story and some of them are beauties but what this did to me was it left me traumatized it left me broke <laughs> um, i was living payday to payday and the next job i got was leading teams of people teams of men uh, and I really shouldn't have been looking back. I shouldn't have been leading teams of men because I was like a zombie. Um, I was yeah, just operating right. on automatic pilot for a number of years. I reckon maybe four years. I just managed to put one step in front of the other and it was like Groundhog Day. It was very yeah. hard um, carrying myself through that. But I was too broke not to. Uh, that was all I believed I was capable of doing. And I believe my life was over because that was um, – I started work when I was 15 for Telstra. So I'd invested decades in getting that far. And I believed I, I wasn't capable of going and doing anything else in life. So my sole focus was just getting my remaining two daughters off to uni and getting them self-sufficient. And then I had no idea what would happen to me. And um, I, I couldn't plan beyond that. That was just mm. my my sole focus. So um, along the way, though, during that time and after, you know, like four years of um, just being in, in fog and feeling like a zombie, my uh, manager at the time uh, was a new manager in the new role that I got. He was one of the best managers I ever turned out to have. He, I think he knew I was in trouble and he arranged for a, a coach to be embedded in our team for three months to improve performance and he was going to move her around um, Victoria and Tasmania to coach other teams as well. But I'm forever fortunate that he chose my team to do it first. And he said, oh, it was a, I had nothing, right? So anything coming my way was a godsend. And I just said, yes, please. I had no idea what I was in for, but. Um, you knew you needed it. He said, while she's there, why don't you get, get her to give you some one-on-one -on -one coaching too? Because that'll be covered by the tab, you know, what we've engaged her for. I said, okay. Now, I was coaching men then, you know, like in Telstra. I'd been trained in Myers-Briggs and all this sort of stuff, and I thought I was a pretty good coach. I listened a lot, and I motivated uh, my staff, you know, it was really good. But she brought along stuff that I'd never been exposed to before and knew nothing about, you know, like neuro-linguistic programming, timeline therapies, and, and a whole heap of stuff that just – I wasn't wasn't privy to you know so i gave it a go i opened myself up and i dived in and um it that changed my life because during that time before she left she sort of found 
I think it was like an ember, you know, still smoldering away in my chest of hope that yeah. I had this feeling in my whole life that there was something more to me than, you know, I had a greater potential that I just wasn't tapping into. And she fanned that into into a into a little fire and it caught fire. And when she left, it was burning brightly. And because um, when she left, I said, look, I want to do whatever she just did. I knew that for some reason or other, what she did was what I wanted to do my whole life. And so it took a few years for that to get me into a stage where I, my daughters were finally self-sufficient and I had the courage to leave Telstra after 40 years, like I said, jump out, out the aeroplane without a parachute. I did that. Yeah. Yeah. And I just built the, uh, built the parachute on the way down. <laughs> Hoping I would crash, but it's been an amazing journey ever since I, I um, broke a belief that I had, uh, I wasn't capable of learning more than what I already knew to get me to Telstra. And I, I turned around and I got an amazing appetite, which is not quenched to this day of learning. And I just, I learned more than that lady um, knew at the time when she coached me. I, I just couldn't stop. I've, I've gone and added a background in neuroscience, in uh, business coaching, one-on-one coaching, results coaching, a whole heap, meditation teaching, a whole heap of things. I haven't stopped yet. That's awesome. I'm using, I've ter- I'm using it now. You know, before it was just learning and filling up the bucket. Now I'm using it, creating my own programs, and ta-da, here I am. That was a long answer to a short question, but that's been my journey. Yeah, That's a great answer. I would goosebumps through a number of parts in that. When you were talking about just from a young age, you just knew you were meant for more. Like I know so many of the listeners on this podcast will relate to that. That was my experience too, and I know it's been the experience for a lot of them. They they knew there was something else, but mm. never, we never taught these things, are we, from a young age? Uh, that's what amazes me. And then I keep wondering, you know, what if we could teach people, you know, maybe in high school or something like that. But then I wonder if I would have been ready to listen. See, back before my marriage breakdown and I lost my job and all that stuff happened, if you had to ask me, do I know what I believe in? I would have said yes. If you had to ask me, do I believe in myself? I would have said, absolutely. I've got this certainty of who I am. But I look back on it now, I had no idea compared to what I, I know, I, I had the depth of I know myself now. You know, So I had to go through those things, I think, to discover that. I had to have those beliefs broken uh, before I could rebuild them. Because every time I re- tried to rebuild them, and uh, it's like the universe will go, no, nah, I don't want you to rebuild the, the life. You, we just broke up for, we broke it up for a reason, and they, the universe would kick it around. So I'd have yeah. to go back again and again. Sooner or later, I, I cottoned on through learning more about coaching and stuff to challenge my beliefs and to dig deep, go beyond the feelings and into the beliefs, sort out the cause, stop dealing with the symptoms all the time and trying to book, put back what, you know, just oh. trying to get a different result with doing the same thing, you know. Yeah, yeah, so that's I good. I finally got it and, and rebuilt my beliefs and, and I have so much fun in that area now and yeah. that's that's what I try and, well, don't try. That's what I, I bring to my clients, right? But I'm not sure if I could teach them if they weren't ready to listen. Oh, 100%. And yeah. I'm sure you've had the experience too when people say, um, oh, I'm going to refer this person to you, they really need it. But if mm. they're not ready if they're not ready, then yeah. and it's never going to work. And Jen, I don't know if you've had this experience, but if it's the partner that's <laughs> recommending their partner to go, it's usually the one doing the recommendation that that probably needs it more or wants it more, but looking for answers that way. I've had a couple of them, but I've also had a couple of um, real gems where um, 
the wife has heard me talking on a radio or something like that. And, and yeah. the next thing I get a, a call from from the, the partner going, oh, my wife told me I should talk to you. <laughs> and so we have some coaching chats, you know, you know, I just do that off the cuff. I, I, I always like to talk to clients before I engage them. So quite often it's a couple of hours of talking to see if we're aligned. And so a couple of them have been all for it once they chat and they find out, you know, what interested their wife. Because the wife is a bit like a coach, you know, it's sort of like they're outside this guy's belief system and they can see in what he's missing. And that's what we do well in coaching. We're outside a person's belief system so we can can reach in and direct them and ask them the right questions. So sometimes it works. Yeah, okay, good call, good call. Uh, You said something there also. You were talking about, well, maybe you wouldn't have been ready and you need to get to a certain age. Uh, Just from my own experience, just watching my children, I've been sort of on this road for, what, 12 years now, is just watching them change and realising that they've had their grief and trauma at a younger age and yeah. I wonder just now how often we just keep repeating the same pattern and it just keeps getting oh, stronger. Yeah. The, the problem is, is when we get to, you know, 35, 40, 45, 50, <laughs> and it happens then, it's so yeah. much bigger. Whereas maybe if we'd help them address it earlier, then it's not, I mean, I don't know, maybe they still have to go through that. Maybe that's a rite of passage, but I, I just look yeah. at both the mind and see how they're, they're definitely not without their challenges. If anything, they've got plenty from from both you know both parents going through their stuff but they they've been able to shift stuff in ways that i i would never have been able yeah. to because it just it just wasn't something that was done that maturity level that kids have got nowadays really impresses me because i look back and i think wow i was so naive i guess when i was when i was their age to a lot 100%. of things yeah. but I mean, fours and against, I think we communicate face-to-face better um, than kids now. Um, they're, they're really smart and they've got a, a level of maturity, but they do a lot of their communicating online. Yeah. And so, you know, the looking people in the eye and being present for people is, is a little bit different. So there's fours and swings and roundabouts, but what I find is um, – like my my four daughters and myself where we and even my ex we're all repairing to this day you know still healing but i'm so proud of my daughters i look at them and they, their level of maturity is way above um their friends growing up through school you know to their, their they're all in their 30s and 40s now but yeah. you know i've seen their friends grow up with them and, and they've had they've been far in front of uh, their friends you know from what they've gone through and learned about themselves yeah. But if there's one regret I got, Ian, and I don't have many, despite all my story, is I, the regret is I'd love to go back and be the parent knowing what I know now from coaching because I would have been a completely different parent because I'm, I was the sort, and I think many men are like this, we give advice because we don't want our kids to go through what we've been through. And so we keep yep. giving them advice, advice, advice. And when they become teenagers and older, they just they don't want advice. They, they switch off to it and they block it. And so we give them more advice. We go, oh, we told you not to do that and you did it anyway, you know, sort of stuff. Yeah. And as a coach, I really changed a lot and I started um, listening <laughs> and it was new for me. And asking <laughs> yeah. them, how, how do they want it to be and why and what, what do they plan on doing about this thing that I'm worried about? And it all changed. And now I find that my daughters often ring me up for advice, which is crazy, right? Yeah. Because I used to be the one giving it. And honestly, they never listened. They'd 
halfway through me giving them advice, they'd finish the sentence because they already knew my advice yeah. and they didn't want that. They just wanted attention and me to listen to them. And that uh, that's the golden rule, you know, you can share with anyone. Um, just start listening to your kids uh, and, and that's all they, they really require. Trust them to learn their own lessons and be there as a support rather than an advisor. <laughs> it works yeah. for yeah. yeah, absolutely. That's probably the biggest lesson for me around parenting as well. I just, you know, you said, oh, you wish you'd go back. I, I look at it like this because I've had to process this in my own head as well. You just think about how how I was when in those younger years and it's like, well, I'm preparing them for whatever journey theirs is. So whatever that they've gone through because of my different challenges, well, that's setting them up to to be able to overcome them and to be able to help other people doing the same. And I already see them do that. I'm sure you see that with, if your daughters were well ahead, you're probably seeing the same thing. The the lesson that you've just outlaid there, I think that for any parent, it's, it's so important. It comes back to control, yeah. right? We want to control like what's going on yeah. and we think we've got the best advice. I don't know how you shifted it, whether it was just from the coaching, but I was doing this in coaching, but I was still falling into the trap as a parent. And my yeah. elder says to me, what makes you think what I'm going through now has got anything to do with you? And mm. I remember just, it was like a smack in the face. It was like, <laughs> oh, yeah. damn. We so never, it's like, no, I just need to ask questions. We never we never stop learning ourselves. We never get to a point where we know enough to, to be the advisor on everything they got and every problem. Yeah, so yeah. right. Yeah, um, yeah look, it, it's – I had a thought and it's just appeared on me just then. It was very relevant, but it's like... We'll keep talking. It'll come back to you. But it will I, come um, back to me. Yeah, yeah. Um, I do some... <laughs> I do some uh, oh, did it, get, did it come to you? No, oh, partly. Yeah. No, it uh, will come to me. I was just going to yeah. hear what you had to say. And, and yeah, well, I, I do some I do some uh, coaching with young athletes and I yeah. say to, to the, the parents, I say, oh, if I'm going to work with your child, I need to work with you guys too. Uh, because normally that's that's who you want to work with first yeah 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 so it's like i can't like if we do this then the, there's going to need to be shifts on both sides or it, or it's just not mm. going to work and you, you need to be gentle with it but the reality is is that whatever you're doing is not helping them i mean not yeah. not whatever you're doing but which is whichever the part is that's having a detrimental impact that needs to change and often i see it out there people going oh my child's going through this this and this can you recommend anyone and <laughs> And sometimes I say it and sometimes I just think it. It's like, well, yeah, I recommend you doing the work on you because that's going to make all the difference for your child. Yeah, yeah, it, it does. All the difference. Uh, you know, there's been a lot of studies done in the past about um, teenage suicide. And the one factor, you know, after tracking people for 20 years, they, they did a massive study in a university in, in America. After 20 years of data, they had all sorts of people, you know, people who had parents who were mayors of towns and you know, judges in courts, et cetera, fine, upstanding citizens. And then they also had parents in the mix. Uh, you know, they, they were in jail at the other end of the spectrum or single parents and, and stuff like that. Hmm. The one factor that, that outweighed all the other uh, influences over a 20-year period was the amount of time a parent spent talking to their child, showing them that they matter, that they yeah. cared what the child thought, um, you know, and what, what they wanted. And just listened you know they didn't even have to talk they just had to listen that time spent with the child it, even if the child was visiting dad in jail if the dad wanted to speak to him he felt like he mattered he, someone cared about him uh, whereas you can you know maybe their their parents were so busy being such a fine upstanding citizen they didn't have time to invest in their own children and people would wonder 
that kid had it all. Why did he do that? You know, or yeah, maybe just yeah. didn't feel like he mattered. So it's it's really big, but it, it's really simple. Like you say, you know, it's start with the parent and get them to understand. They don't have to be an expert. They just have to listen. And yeah. that was it. Did prompt what I was trying to remember before. The you said, um, you know, uh, you know, you 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 want to control what they're thinking, what they're doing for safety, right? Because you want them to yeah. be safe. Yeah. But it's more about if you try and control them, you're taking responsibility off their shoulders and putting them on yours. And so you're yeah. adding all this weight on your own shoulders and you're walking around with it and you're not not doing what you do best with that weight on your shoulders and they don't want you to carry the weight anyway. Because yeah. when you do that, you deny them the, the um, benefit of learning from their own lesson that they're yeah. going to get if they do something wrong, you know, the test and measure as you go and see what happens. We did that when we were kids and, and teenagers. We learned lessons because we're allowed to roam free and, and learn. And if you try and control all that, you know, you're putting all the responsibility on your shoulders. They'll resent you for it anyway. And you'll you'll find that there's a gap being um, created between you and your kids as, as they get older. Yeah. But when you listen and you ask them, questions are oh, really what do you think you should do or how do you want it to be and what do you think you need to do to be safe uh, and when are you going to do that and you just keep asking questions and they feel like oh dad's asking me what i think wow that's cool and they start wanting to share more with you and, and then seeking out your advice and that's when you know you you've got the code cracked i think <laughs> yeah absolutely until something else changes and then you back to oh, yeah, yeah until <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> um so, Steve, can we go back to that time that you described at the start? So mm -hmm. you said you weren't aware at the time that there was a mental illness in the in the family, but what was showing up that you probably couldn't explain except it was probably really difficult to deal with? Drama. Um, it, it would start bubbling up like it started maybe every two or three months. Um, there'd be tension built up in the house, and it was between my wife and I, you know, um, or my wife and my children or our children, I should say. Um, and then there'd be an argument of some sort. You don't know what the argument's about, but there's an argument and you're involved. And then it would erupt like a, a storm. And then the next day it was like the calm after the storm, you know, yeah. a bright sunny day and everything was fine. So everyone goes, oh, phew, problem's over. We just not want to refer back to it or, or get involved in where it started because it was always confusing and, you know, we didn't want it to come back. So we just all go, oh, everything's good now. We'll just leave it alone we'll move forwards but it started becoming more frequent you know more frequent more frequent and i was quite i was working away a lot at the time too and when i'd come back i was presented with you know these kids have been naughty since you've been away and i'd have to correct them or, or you know have a word with them and all this sort of stuff that became more frequent too and in the end i, I learned it wasn't the kids who were having the trouble they weren't being naughty it was the mental illness that my ex had undiagnosed to this day as far as I'm aware. Um, but, yeah, she started imagining things that we were doing against her and none of it was true but started uh, spreading it around town, creating a lot of trouble, even with police and everything. Um, there was, it was really hard and with, with, the, with the girls' friends, even at, at school and the parents of their friends and everything. We all got involved. Like we were all defending ourselves of weird accusations and stuff in the community and it was really bizarre. And yeah, like it couldn't go on like that. It just got got to a point where it all just blew to bits. And at the same time, not knowing what it was, I went and got a divorce and kept on with life. Yeah, yeah. So, did you 
like if if the stories were coming back to you, would you approach your wife about it and ask what what was it about? Oh yeah, and they you end up with more drama and accusations and problems, um, but <clears throat> never an admission of sorry or, or that's not true or yeah I, I'm sorry if I spread that around or anything because some of it you never knew where it started from. It was just rumors you heard coming mm-hmm. back from school through my daughters. You know, mm-hmm. kids at school are saying this about you that their parents are telling them. I had some amazing stories spread around town. A town I'd I'd been in for I think it was about sixteen years. People started crossing the road when they saw me coming instead oh. of walking past me to talk to me. And I always wondered why. And then when I was hearing the rumors that were being spread, it it blew my socks off too. And once people in town start believing, you know, like the people they know believe that about someone who's doing something wrong, they all believe it. And so no one, all, all that time, like you can't run around going, I didn't do that stuff. You'd sound like you were guilty if you run around trying to prove your, your innocence. So I thought sooner or later, someone will bother to ask me, you know, what happened, what's going on? And no one did. Um, oh. that, that was surprising. So in the end, when I moved away, it was a relief, but I'd left a problem. I, I never dealt with that. And it's funny, but I've gone back up into that area only recently working um, with some government departments up that way and crossing over, you know, people that I used to know up there at the time. And it's been really cathartic for me to revisit um, where all those ghosts and everything still existed. Mm. What, what yeah. sort of stories are we talking, if you don't mind sharing? Well, I don't mind sharing. It's my history now. At one stage, I wouldn't have been able to talk about it without my voice shaking, right? But now yeah, right. it's just a story and I, and I really appreciate it. I've got gratitude what I went through. I, I wouldn't wish the harm or the pain or anything on anyone again, but that's what it took to break my life out of what it was and where it was heading to what it is now. So I'm eternally grateful for that. But, yes, um, the, what was being spread, I, I was meant to be having affairs because I, I was – staying away um, from uh, the family a lot, you know, during the week. I was working away because I, I'd stepped up into management and sometimes they, they sent me to cover for other managers in other towns and that was all around, you know, from the Murray River down to Warrnambool. So I could be staying away during the week. So the the rumours were that I was having affairs all this time um, and I was, uh, what was it? I was a, a meant to be abusing my wife financially, not giving her any money, uh, emotionally, physically. Um, one that really worried me was that I was meant to be having an incestuous relationship with one of our daughters. Uh, um, and just all this crazy stuff and I was stealing stuff. And then it was uh, the daughters who were stealing stuff from my wife and um, meant to be doing stuff to her as well. So it was really bizarre and it, it was sort of like very cleverly done and cunningly done like it was never in a case where you could just go hey what do you say that for and and you know it would be defended with logic or 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 an admission of sorry i shouldn't have done that it was all more woven in very subtly and and you never know where it came from or where it was going so like i said i was no match for it and i'd never been prepared for it by what the way i'd been brought up i'd just been taught what to believe which i did very well i'm a very loyal person but I mean, I was very loyal to a habitual way of dealing with problems, and this was outside of the ordinary, and I, and mm. I didn't cope, and it just blew blew my life to bits. So I had to learn why did I believe that, and, and learn to, you know, listen to myself and my intuition more, and use all my knowledge as reference material material rather than a list of rules and lessons to live my life by. And mm. I, I, I turned my thinking to my greatest asset. 
I love that. It's reference material. That's good. Yeah. When when you look back then in hindsight, was there anything that you now see within your wife your wife at the time behavior that were kind of warning signs that 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 you either didn't see at the time or or just ignored? Yeah, yeah. Um, one thing I notice is I fell in love with my wife when I was nineteen, and we weren't a perfect match. But I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> I adapted, you know, and so did she. You know, we were very good at adapting, and she fell in love with me too. Like I said before, the mental illness, we were. I would have died for her given the chance, you know, and it's funny how later on in life you wish you had her. Um, but uh, I oh, wow. say that in good humour. I don't mean it seriously, but it's yeah, sort of like yeah. the feeling got broken along the way. But we had a very strong love, so we are very adaptable. But, yeah, we, we weren't a perfect fit. There were so many differences. But one difference, one thing that I knew from the word go was she was like, I used to call her nuclear powered. She could never switch off. She was always busy. And... Um, and it became a problem later on when we when we had so many children. Like she'd be up working, ironing, cooking, hanging out, washing in the dark and all sorts of stuff, you know. Just uh, the only time she stopped was to sleep and that wasn't much. So um, we started going to psychologists to try and find out what was driving her so much. You know, I, I just was worried and I, I wanted her to learn to relax, have times where she'd just switch off or be down. Hmm. And she could never do it. And we never got to the end of it, never uncovered that. But looking back, I go, now knowing what I know, that's a sign of um, people who can't switch off and they're driven so hard, there's a reason for it. And I, I was just, you know, so naive. But I'm I'm surprised, you know, like the amount of counsellors we went through, how pathetic they were or useless at even picking up that stuff. And also, you know, in later years, the counsellors I'd learnt had been being fed uh, false stories about me way before I knew the problem was getting out of hand. So when we went for counselling, they'd, they'd always look at me and they'd have an opinion about me and they'd separate us so they could talk to her. And I and it was later that I was learning that, you know, the seed was being sown even then that, yeah, she was lying to me but never realised that she, she never apologised for it or, or was able to realise that she had a mental illness and needed to, which was part of the illness as far as I know. Yeah, wow. So so when you say mental illness and you said it's undiagnosed, have you put your finger on what illness it would be? No, look, after after um, we separated and I, I, and I ended up going to a different, um, different country town to live in, um, my eldest daughter managed to get her to a psychiatrist because um, she was having a lot of trouble dealing with the, the new world she created by causing the trouble. She had to try and live in it as well and she wasn't coping. Mm. So mm. I got her to a psychiatrist, but uh, even a psychiatrist um, didn't say that there was any diagnosable um, mental conditions driving any of it. Because What I found was she was brilliant at lying, um, very believable. Even through court, you got everything because she was crying every step of the way. And everyone just wanted to comfort her and believe her. She was very, very clever. But again, I think that's a mental illness, you know, very cunning. Mm, wow. Man. Now, as a parent, I can't even begin to imagine how stressed you must have been about your children. Yeah. Like just how, like, you must have been at your wit's end when you were thinking about the impact it was having on them. Well, she was not fit to look after herself. She was suicidal. She was, um, uh, well, I'd 
in my opinion only, right? This is only my opinion, but she was had a problem with alcohol and drugs too when when the marriage broke down and, and, and left. So I had two young daughters in a house where they'd have to try and look after their mum in some awful situations and have strangers in the house too that were not there for any good intent. So um, as a parent, I was terrified, but I had orders against me. I wasn't allowed to be there and help. Oh. So, uh, yeah. Wow. So how did you cope with all of that? Like if you said like you were terrified, like... I was traumatized. I do what I can. I spent a lot of time on the phone to my daughters. They'd ring me up in the middle of the night, Dad, this is going wrong. That's going wrong. One thing I managed to do, um, I, I spent, I went way into debt to try and get the court to allow my kids to be wherever they wanted to stay. And I actually achieved that before I ran out of money and just had to stop. Um, but the, the problem with my two youngest daughters, all this trouble that they're experiencing they were thick as thieves together those two and uh, they just felt safer at home with their friends in in the town than they were to move hundreds of kilometers away to a new school you know with me you know they were struggling to figure it out so they had the right to choose where to live but they didn't exercise it it wasn't until you know maybe three or nearly four years later that they actually did and came to live with me so um, yeah it was really hard. I've got to tell you, if you want to worry, you, you know, something going wrong with your kids is the worst thing you can ever experience, I think, even even worse than if something's wrong with yourself or your partner. Yeah, I'd agree with that from my experience as well. Uh, how did, like, you, how are you still functioning at work? Uh, like I said, I, that's when I go, I was, my ma- mind was just a cloud. I couldn't even remember short-term memory, you know, like I was forgetting mm. everyone's birthdays and important events and everything and I, I was not organised and I was, you know, when I imagined it, it was like being a zombie. I, it was just Groundhog Day every day. I, <laughs> you know, it was a real wake-up call for me. There was one stage then when I was I was sitting down for dinner, I had this small pokey flat and... Um, I'd made dinner, and I don't don't normally do do it, but I ate dinner in front of the TV. And while I was eating, I was watching this comedy show. I can't even remember what it was, but at the end of it, I was, you know, my whole life was misery, and I was, you know, flat about everything. And I watched this comedy show. And I go, huh, they can't even make comedy shows like they used to anymore because right? I didn't find that at all funny. And then I started trying to remember what's the last show that I liked that was actually funny. And I couldn't remember one. Then I started thinking, when was the last time I laughed? Oh. And I could not remember the last time I laughed. And I go, oh, my goodness, I've forgotten how to laugh. So I tried to make myself laugh and I couldn't. And I, so I started hiring DVDs of comedies, you know, to, to make myself laugh. And I could sit there and I could see it was funny and nothing. So I had to start um, making myself fake laugh <laughs> i wanted to learn how to laugh again so i started doing that and something changed because i started getting a whole flood of emotions it was a few months after that i remember sitting down and i don't watch the simpsons but there was an episode of the simpsons on the simpsons cartoon as i sat down to finish my dinner that night and they played a, a song in in this cartoon and um something triggered me and i just started bawling my eyes out like oh wow a couple of months ago, I couldn't even laugh, and now I've got progress because now I'm laughing over over bloody cartoons, right? <laughs> and it was a journey. I had to reconnect myself with all my emotions because I was just wiped out. Yeah. Mm. And to me, that's that's what happens when you have grief that that you haven't processed. It, it, that's yeah. exactly what it's like. I, I think back to those times where. 
uh, after my dad passed, I, I just don't have a memory of the kids growing up for those mm. like for those younger years that probably four or five years afterwards it's just a blur and you see photos and and my memory of if it was that i wasn't in a good place but the photos tell a different story so it's amazing yeah. it's yeah. amazing how we then process all of that time yeah do you do you have a have you had conversations with your daughters since then about that time and how you all got through it oh yeah and it's like we we are really tight now um and that's something that's it's a blessing um but it's sort of like we've all got different memories of it which blew my mind you know we, we might have all been in the same room when something really profound happened and I, I i you know would say oh look you remember when that happened and they go no i don't remember it that way and they'll they'll say i remember it this happened i go well, actually that's not what happened at all but then another one will go no 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 that's not what happened we all had different memories we were wow. all at a different age level but it, it really was um a really good example of how our perspective of life all resolves revolves around it you know what meaning we give things and why and our beliefs yeah. again yeah so seeing that that was bizarre because you know we were trying to convince each other that the other version wasn't right <laughs> Um, but now we're, we're really good. We, like I said, we've come a long way. Um, and I've made it my life. I, I love doing what I do now for a whole, it's opened up a whole world of world of fascination. It's more fascinating our emotions and our beliefs, etc. to me, um, than space, you know, there's more going on inside our heads than anything. Yeah. Uh, and it's really weird. All this stuff that goes on, all the emotions we're feeling, all the fear, all the drama, all the turmoil. It doesn't exist in reality. It only exists inside our mind. It's like, wow, you know, it's bizarre. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it absolutely is. Uh, the, the whole thing around memory is fascination, fascinating too. Uh, I think it's a Malcolm Gladwell podcast and he was talking about the, the impact of memory and he, and he quoted they do these studies around, um, I think they call them flash events or whatever. They, they mm -hmm. interview people on the day and then every year and yeah. then every year they get, their, they get them to recount the day. And yeah. they will argue against what they did the previous year. Yeah. Adamant that because that's what their memory's telling. Yeah. Apparently, like it, it every year it can change by 20%. So yeah. we want to we want to hold grudges and we want to fight <laughs> about things from the past when the reality is that most likely what we remember is false. And yeah. that what we were even fighting about is probably long since uh, swept away as well. The feeling remains there, and our our mind only, our subconscious, you know, it only holds on to things that relate to the belief we've had. You know, you know, we create our beliefs when we're very young, you know, first seven years, and then uh, we unconsciously gather evidence for the rest of our life to reinforce our beliefs from back then. So, yeah. because it's quicker to access those memories, those heuristics, um, which are just a, like a packet of beliefs that our mind has cleverly made to throw out a problem, so we can understand it quickly so we don't have to go through the you know the long drawn out process of understanding or analyzing things all the time so it, it is what you say you know it's sort of like i can remember one time being really angry with someone um and then i went to sleep and i woke up in the morning i had a great sleep and i woke up and i stretched and i felt really good sun was coming in the window and then I remember the mood creeping over me when I started remembering the, the, what I was thinking about, the, the ang how angry I was with a certain person the day before, and I reinstalled the program. And, and I, 
I woke up happy and I, I could feel it, you know, overtaking my body, this feeling of, oh, hang on, I'm, I'm not meant to be happy, I'm meant to be angry. And I thought, wow, isn't it funny, just reinstalling the program, our mind is incredible the way it grabs hold of what we want to believe and it makes it our reality. You know, our whole life is is a consequence of our beliefs, really. Yeah, absolutely. And even to the point, I don't know if you've experienced this, but you, you help someone to clear an old belief and an old block and then they move forward then they still have to be able to change the habit because, as you said, then you just reinstall, right? If you keep repeating the pattern, then there's, then there's a reinstall that happens. Yeah, well, well you've got to um, – there, there's a number of things in there. If you if you clear someone's belief, and, again, it gets back to – it's a bit like listening to your kid. If they're not engaged in it, if they're not seeking the change, you can do all the clearing you want, and it won't yeah. mean as much to them. But if they really want to complete it and they do the, the, the emotional clearing well, that 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 – interrupts the belief but then they've got to install new neural pathways new memories and so they've got to exercise that a little bit to to create the pathway so it gets myelinated and stuff mm-hmm. so they've got to use it but they're not going to do it if they don't want to do it so um 100 and that yeah. might answer the question that we were talking about before around when you said you know you've got to be ready yeah if if you try and force things upon people, then that they'll, they'll never get anywhere because they're not ready. And you just get resistance. Actually, yeah. it's yeah, automatic. Yeah. You walk into a shop and a salesman comes up to you and tries to sell you something, you got automatically resist because you don't want someone else to have control over your life. Yeah. Um, and yet we we allow our memories to control us according to the beliefs we're taught. That's another. That's another topic <laughs> for another yeah, day. Yeah. Um. So when when you st- come out the other side and you start to get coaching, yep. was was there a moment that you can remember where, you, where either like an outpouring of emotion or a moment of clarity where you, you could suddenly see things a different, a shift in perspective perhaps? It's funny you mentioned it before, something that um, resonated a lot and brought, brought back to me my journey through all that. I have had many revelations and many aha moments, you know, mind-blowing. Oh, my goodness, this is awesome. You know, tears, crying, all this sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, when I say tears, crying, that, that's not totally true. Um, just tears of um, realisation, like you just get a tear roll down the side, not full-on crying, right? Yeah, slow. <clears throat> because that was a mis- yeah, that was a missing piece. I was searching for rebuilding beliefs, under- getting you know, getting in touch with my emotions again, f- trying to get out of my head, you know, out of the amygdala, <laughs> and, and just get some normality back in life and some success and everything. Now I, I know how to do it. It's ridiculously easy. But back then, everyone kept saying, "You're in your head." And I go, "Well, you keep telling me that, but you don't tell me how to get out of my head." You know. I'm trying to think my way out of my head, which is making it worse. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it was that search. The, the one that I was looking for was one that I've, I've still to this day haven't had, but I, I do so much meditation, I believe I've actually equilibrated it out of me anyway. Time will tell. But that is full-on crying. I've never grieved the loss of my wife or the loss of the marriage or the pain or, or the loss of my kids' innocence and all that sort of stuff. Like I, I forgot how to laugh and then I learned how to laugh and cry and everything. But there's never been a profound moment that grieved all of that happening. So I'm good. I'm, I'm really solid, I think. Maybe one day I'll just break down in tears and cry or maybe I'll, I'll just be happy to, to continue the way I'm going. I don't know. But that, that grief is something you really need to express and um, feel to get, to get free. Uh, again, uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, again, I think it comes back to being ready. 
like the the next yeah. big profound shift happens when you're ready. And sometimes uh, these things happen whether you believe in divine timing or where things are meant to be. But I, I think of some of those big moments for me, they were usually where I travelled somewhere out of the norm. Oh, yeah. uh, so I've re- referenced on this podcast before the, my trip to Bali, which which had a, a massive cleansing experience. I've had any number of times where I've gone off for, you know, you, know, you talk about NLP and that sort of thing. You go and do your training and you're, you're learning to be able to, facilitate it but the real shift from that experience for me is actually the shift it gives you yourself um Mm. so i mean that's for me but you've said like you've done a bit of movement around a bit of travel so maybe it's more the uh Mm. what might be a a different different situation for you yeah travel doesn't i find travel i enjoy travel but it's not a it's not a a deep desire in me. I love traveling for a reason. I, I'm not really a good traveler just to see what's there and have fun like a, a bit of a tourist. I, I need a reason to be somewhere. But to me, it's more about the people I meet when I travel. So I don't have to travel to meet new people. So to me, I just find people fascinating, and that helps me understand myself. The more I I engage with people, the more I understand myself in the process. Hmm. Um, I, I don't find travel has done that. Travel just adds another aspect to my life of pleasure and relaxation and learning. But, yeah, it, it uh, doesn't have as much effect on me as people. And is that something you can remember that being the case from a young age? No. See, for uh, again, the way I created my life was I created it to match what I believe I deserve. See, I was always very a quiet, shy kid, you know, like very quiet um, didn't believe because I got three brilliant siblings. You know, I was the youngest of four. And so I grew up believing that I wasn't clever. They were. So I didn't realize they were all older than me for a start, but I'd try and match myself against them. And they always corrected me. And um, all, so did my parents. You know, they were, they were quite clever. And um, I just grew up thinking oh, I wasn't that clever. So I, I went a new way. So I had a belief to overcome way back then. Um, but what I did was I, I created a life where I had a job that I was able to get and I made the best out of it, but I was never fully realizing who I could be because I had this belief that I couldn't learn beyond what I'd already learned. So it was breaking through that. Um, by the trauma I went through, I, I had to dig deep and challenge who I was and I learned I was way more. And when I got onto what I really wanted to do and it opened me up to talk to other people. And when I started practicing the coaching with other people and seeing the profound effect it had on them, I thought, here's a reason why I went through all that, what I went through, how I can use what I was meant to be to help pass it on, you know, to other, other people. So I see a purpose and um, I learned that by, uh, you know, mixing with other people and helping them and going through what I went through. I'd like to say I, I, I wish it was travel. It would give me a reason to travel more. Um, but, yeah, I just need to meet more people. That's all I, I desire. <laughs> yeah. So this, this, I'm sure you do this as well when you're coaching, but just joining dots, if it wasn't something that was like that the whole way through, it like could it have something to do with the fact that travel for you meant having to leave town because of, the whole experience he had went through, not by choice, but by almost by force, right? Needing to needing to clear um, yourself out of there. I love I love travel. Don't get me wrong, and it it doesn't affect me one way or the other. I uh, like 
if I'm stuck in the one spot too long, I feel like I'm getting a bit stale. So I like change in my life, whether it's location or people or variety of what I do. So, um, yeah, like I said, it's just I love travel, so there's no no problem with it. I just don't need it. It's not a it's not a prime motivator for me. Uh, people seem to be a more motivator. If someone, no matter where they are, once rang me up and said, "Hey, let's catch up," if it was a long way away and I had to travel there, I would. But if it was next door, I would as well. It's sort of like I like the difference, whether it's near or far. I don't find that I have to travel to seek something different. I just like looking at life differently every single day. I guess. <laughs> Yeah, cool. When you, like for me, it's often the case that patterns that show up in adulthood have been there um, mm. from quite a young age. Like you said, we, we form so many of our beliefs in those first seven years. You said you had a very different upbringing. Yeah. Do you look back also at some of those things that were to your detriment in that time that, that then played out in later years? Yeah, yeah. See, I used, you know, the first 10 years of life, right, we believe our parents 100%, right? So we think yeah. they're infallible. And then we turn into teenagers and we start seeing our parents as human beings and seeing their, um, you know, where they're susceptible and where they're, where they're a bit hypocritical and stuff like that. And we start challenging that. You know, we start yeah. rebelling against it too a lot. And we think, you know, by the time we're 20, we think we have. And we go, we don't want to live here any longer. We want to start our own life our way and do it. And in the 20s, you might get married and have kids or get a house or another job or something. And then your 30s, you know, you're embedding that and working hard. And then in your 40s, you'll look around and blow me down if you haven't gone and created, recreated one of your parents' lives the way they had, you know. <laughs> and I learned that about myself. Um, all the time I believed I'd run away from um a childhood that i was never ha really happy in um only to create that life later on so i learned a lot more about my dad after he passed away and had a lot more empathy for him and i could start seeing what was driving him and motivating him from what i would learned through coaching and um a lot of the therapies that i'd done on myself as well took me in a great greater understanding of my own beliefs i'd formed as a result of having that life and then rebelling against it and the whole journey like i said even taking responsibility for my marriage because i believed i was a victim for so long that it wasn't my fault none of this was my fault and i believed i was a victim so i didn't look for ways out i didn't own up to changing my own beliefs because i was blaming the situation it was when i took 100 percent responsibility for the life i was living i could see that my subconscious had unconsciously created that life because it was giving me what i believed i deserved which wasn't enough um, and now, like when you get change those beliefs yourself, turn them on, turn them off, adjust them, update them, you know, you can start matching them to your potential, what, what's really inside of you to come out. And that's the exciting part. You know, that's, you can't put a value on that. Um, I'm sad that the whole family paid such a price, not just for me to learn that lesson. It's the lesson I took out of it I see as a gift. And I don't know if it's the reason we, we all went through it, but a lot of good has come from a lot of bad and um, yeah. you know, it's as far as I've gone on that. <laughs> yeah, well, I'd, I'd suggest that it was a gift for everyone, even though you're only looking at it through your lens and seeing all the bad stuff that happened to them. There will be many, many gifts for everyone involved, including your ex, um, whether people are ready to see that or not, it's another thing. Hmm. Well, again, everyone has to take responsibility for their own life through whatever they're going through. Yeah. And, if they, and again, it's important that you understand why you feel like a victim. 
and then understand what's going on and understand that you've got a choice no matter what you've always got a choice always. and if you're choosing to stay a victim that's a choice you know yeah yeah well so said. they've all got their own responsibility to to take what they need to learn and do to to get out of their own situation and that's like i was saying before instead of giving advice on how to do it we listen to each other which which is the, the best gift you can give anybody i think oh 100 percent. well said what what did you experience from your dad that had you then having to then process like yeah. and then and then realize after he passed what like what his upbringing had been like? Yeah. Well, for a start, there's no blame in here or judgment. Okay, this is just saying it as it is. It might sound like I'm blaming him, but I was brought up in a very religious household, so I learned afterwards there was a reason, probably a reason I can guess at why my dad would have relied so much on religion to sort his own life out. I'm also a, a behavioural profiler, so I know what sort of energy type my dad was and I can see why he, once he believes in something, he has a very strong belief, a lot like I recognise I've got myself. And it's like trying to break that belief was almost impossible with my dad. So he had all of us believing the religion um, 100% as well and we were very religiously controlled and... So I, I grew up terrified of God. I was thinking that I was going to be punished for all these things I was thinking. And, mm. you know, it was a fear-based sort of religion, you know, like a fire and brimstone stuff. And um, so there was a lot of that. And I just wanted to leave that behind and escape and have a normal life. And, uh, and I did. I left home when I was 15 and got a job and um, started being happy as Larry, having freedom. Um, but, yeah, I kept... You know, I was still being driven by a subconscious belief I wasn't aware of. You know, even trying to escape something that influences your life because you're trying to do the opposite to something. You're still not listening to what what you're innately capable of doing. You're just trying to go an opposite to way to something you've been taught. So, um, yeah, learning all that out though, I, I I still find it so fascinating. Even though it's only my own life, which is just an ordinary life, really, it's extraordinary. You know, everybody's life is extraordinary. And I love yeah. going through decade by decade and getting people to relate whatever profound good or bad events have happened to them and helping them, you know, weave a story around it and see how it's influenced their life to where they are now. Because um, they're profound moments when people can see the effect that their life has had and how, you know, lessons are reinforced as they go get older and older. They're not new lessons. They're the same one being reinforced in, reinforced in different ways by different people and circumstances. So if you don't listen and take responsibility to learn what, what's being taught to you, you keep getting slapped around by the universe harder and harder until you do. So pain is your friend. It's not the enemy. It's the pain you're feeling, the, the life you want to leave because you're unhappy. It's not just because you're not coping. It's not because you're a loser or a failure or anything. It's like trying to get your attention. It loves you so much. It wants you to learn and change because without that pain, you never would change. You would stay exactly where you were. So um, quite often we try and resist that and look in a different direction all the time. So um, listening to all that, um, growing up in a religious family, all of that, I look back and I go, wow, I'm so lucky I had that calibre of people with that, that perspective for me to learn from and add to the repertoire of what I know now. So like just everybody adds richness into your life if you can look at the, a, a bigger perspective rather than just a narrow view. Mm, I love that. My experience was similar growing up in that sort of religious uh, upbringing. I don't remember it being 
by my parents necessarily the the fire and brimstone but i do remember being at church and sunday school and and mm. developing this fear around exactly like you described the thoughts and the and what i've done and, mm. and and all sorts of crazy thoughts that you have in those times for me it then meant when i sort of got older i just completely separated myself from anything that remotely mm. considered spiritual but of course there was still stuff playing out in the background, drawing me back in, the skepticism and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Has that been your experience too? And then, and then oh, coming yeah. full circle and then rediscovering a, a, a judgment-free spirituality? Yeah, yeah, great topic because, yeah, I did the opposite. I, I abandoned everything to get as far away from it as I could, but then I felt guilty um for abandoning it right so I, I i didn't make much progress i just went around feeling guilty all the time and i felt again like i wasn't i don't deserve anything because i've abandoned god you know <laughs> so i had the belief of being a victim right from the start and i had to come to terms with that and own it and step into it and i think i have i've done so much work and i've opened myself up instead of just believing one aspect i've been taught i've challenged all my beliefs what's the opposite to it what's the opposite to it why why and what evidence do i have to believe something yeah. and look at all that as reference material again instead of as being told any religion that tells you the book that we base our religion on says this and says that and says that i always say can you tell me why I should believe in your religion without tr proving it to me from the book that your religion is about? And they can't do it. So I've come full circle and um, I, I just innately believe, because I've got so much evidence in front of me for me to satisfy me, that there is a God. But I call it the universe or life source or whatever relates to other people for them. But inside my head, it's God. Um, but I just don't believe in religion. That's that's as far as I've come because I think that we're all equally important in life. We're all equally valuable. But we have different purposes, different perspectives, different traits, different challenges, different levels of fitness, health, the whole heap. But we're all equal. And I think so long as we define ourselves by religion, by race, by colour, by nationality by football teams or whatever we're isolating ourselves and we're saying you people who i'm aligning myself with we're all good but everyone else is different and, and we're, we're creating an unevenness by doing that and i think in my own mind you know like the journey through life the spirituality i'm seeking is to connect everyone together and appreciate everyone i think when we realize that we're all part of the fabric of god we make it all up and we're all important. It's like a jigsaw puzzle. Every piece is the same height, but we've all got different shapes and colours and we've got a spot we belong in. We've all got a spot that we belong in and we need to find it. Um, but, yeah, if you think the jigsaw puzzle is just made up of a certain colour pieces, you're not going to get a picture at the end. So mm. I'm not sure I've answered that completely, but that's sort of... No, I, I like your answer. It's, it's good food for thought, I'm sure, for everyone. I, I like to think that all those different groups it's okay for you to find places that you belong in, in different groups. It's then how do we then make the groups become the jigsaw? And who, well, that's who your is. part though, isn't it? If you're, if you're the part that uh, moves around through the picture and connects other groups, pulls them together, you've still got a spot on that board where you belong. And that's yeah. the influence you have. You probably work through the other pieces alongside you and you unite them to spread to other people. But yeah, like the spot on the board doesn't um, fix you in one spot. That's just figuratively yeah. speaking, you know. So, like, 
just so that you know that you belong and you've got a purpose and you're part of the fabric and whether you're moving around the planet doing it or not it doesn't doesn't mean that you have you're not allowed to if you've got a spot on the board you've got to stay on that spot <laughs> yeah well said that, that's uh, the, that's the, the the image in my mind anyway that's as best yeah. as i can relate it to so i understand something in in my own being yeah and i really like that i remember having a fairly robust discussion with someone who was coming very much from a scientific perspective and he was concerned about you know all these different uh niches and smaller groups of people and you know it's going to create this disconnect and i'm like well people belong in those it's about finding ways that we can cross the divide between groups and and usually there's one person who's very good at doing that that can be like you described can can be that piece on the board that that yeah, brings the all conduit yeah the conduit and and I, I look at what we do is a lot like that right whether it's yeah. the um the small family unit when we're helping people to bridge that gap because there's just as many gaps in in a family unit as there is of all these different groups out there right yeah and, and it's funny but like I said, I've got such a thirst for knowledge. I've studied so many different things, you know, religion, psychology, neuroscience, quantum physics, um, just so much stuff. And an amazing thing I found is all those different modalities, as vastly different as they are to each other, all have the same journey inside them. You know, even people who believe in energy healing as opposed to people on scientific fact, they all start with learning who we are and where what your vision is where you want to go and getting a flow state and disregarding stuff that's useless and, and really you know being true to yourself the same message is in every different religion and every different um health practice and scientific endeavor it's all leading different people who you know who believe they belong in different groups the same way and yet they all are judging each other as the other ones are wrong do you know what i mean so it's like connect together add the different perspective into this massive picture and um, honour each other as equals, not as different, lesser or more, depending on what they do. Yeah, absolutely. The, I was only thinking about this this week, the sort of foundation of, of science is observation, yeah. right? People need to have observed spirituality is exactly the same. It's, it's what we... Yeah see it's what we hear it's what we feel with all of our senses and they're probably more similar than both sides care to admit but that's why i like yeah. to play more in the middle which is uh how to like someone described to me it's like you're, you're the bird on the breeze just adjusting each side to to mm. find whatever works best for you yeah if you've got no evidence hard evidence <clears throat> to prove something one way or the other you got no right to judge that someone else's view of it in a different way is um, necessarily right or wrong. It's yeah. like just accept that they got a different perspective and learn from it, appreciate it. That's a perspective you don't have. It's a blind spot in your own understanding, really. Yeah, absolutely. Now you mentioned word, the word purpose before. There's a million different uh, definitions, and, and even I use different definitions depending on the circumstance. Circumstance, but to me, the essence of it is to be able to help people through something that you've been through because there's that innate, not, not innate, there's a learned part of you that never wants someone else to have to go through the pain that you've been through. Yeah, that to, me, to me, purpose is a little bit different. That can be one aspect of it. To me, you're probably familiar with Maslow's hierarchy of human needs, yeah? 
Yeah. And it all leads up to self-actualization. And self-actualization is where you release your potential and you can be all you can be. And that is what I think our purpose is, to take responsibility for ev everything that we can and so we can be all we can be. Leave nothing, you know, take risks. Uh, pre be prepared to fail, to learn something. Be prepared to accept someone different so you can learn off them. And if you take full responsibility and have this faith that you'll be all right if you do it, that it doesn't define who you are if you make a mistake, that I think is everyone's purpose to fully reach their potential, uh, whether it's just in one aspect of spirituality or not, or or uh, success in another area. I think it's bigger than that. I think because we've got so much diversity, someone's purpose might be very little, but that's their, their spot on the jigsaw puzzle board, right? And yeah, someone else might have a massive, far-reaching um, purpose or impact, and that's their purpose. But we all fit together to make that fabric, like I was saying before. Absolutely. So I think, yeah, I think I think purpose for me is just whatever a person feels is inside them, they've got to take responsibility to let it out and use it. You know, so many of us, this is one thing that burned me off um, my perspective of religion, and that was constantly seeing religious people um, pray and, and give their responsibility for that away. Everything that happened that was bad was God's will. Um, anything good was they were being blessed. And it's sort of like they're just always asking for something to be done for them for a reason. They were going to thank something or, you know, everything was God's will and it, it wasn't theirs. And I, I think, well, I see God is life and, and life is in all of us. So in actual fact, to learn more about God, I go inside and look at myself and honour his presence in me, you know, and it's sort of like he wants me to use what he's given me to get a result, not pray to him, because I think he would be sitting up in heaven somewhere going, well, I gave you this incredible body and incredible mind to do all that stuff with, and you keep asking me to do it. Come on. I'm sending all these lessons to you so you'll get off your off your butt and do it, and yeah. you're still praying to me, right? So, yeah, to me it's sort of like self-actualization is everyone's purpose, if you ask me. And as a coach, I help them see what it looks like in reality, in their reality. Love it. Um, it's a hymn, is it? A hymn? You just said, you said, oh, God, as in him. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Only can, the, that's the, yeah. the religious part of it. I've got no book I go by to say whether that's right or wrong. So to me, yeah. because I'm a hymn, I say, yeah, I'll look at him as a hymn. Yeah, I understand. I was <laughs> it, could, it could be anything because I'm not clever enough to tell you one way or the other what's right or wrong. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Um, yeah, no, to, me, to me, to uh, me, I was listening, well, not to me, but to many people, I guess, but I heard this Simon Sinek talking about it just this week, uh, saying purpose depends on other people. So it's not an individual thing. It is an individual thing, but it depends on that interaction, which plays in with what you were saying before. Yeah. It's like you're being, taking that uh, self-responsibility and then going out and doing, making whatever difference that is. Yes. Yeah. You don't, I don't, I don't think, oh, sorry, but you just, it, I don't think you earn a spot on that jigsaw puzzle board until you release your potential. So the board is for people who get out and release their potential. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, 100%. If you and don't release it, you, you, you're not releasing your potential. So you, you don't have a spot on the board. You, you don't become the part of the fabric that everyone needs. And so it is always in relation to the pieces around you that fit into. So it's always through people. 
And yeah. I've seen so many men, which is why I'm a, a men coach, right? Uh, so many men withdraw when they believe they're not up to the standard that they believe they should be at and competing with other men. So they withdraw and they hide their light and they're not reaching their potential, which is a real injustice because it's their own belief that they're allowing to take control of them. And I know they, because I've been there, that they don't know any other way and they think that they're a victim and it's hopeless. But it's like, no, get that fire burning inside you. There's more to you. You know, the injustice is you're not, you, you can't see it. I can see it because I'm outside of your belief system, but you don't. So, yeah, get that fire of purpose burning in everybody, I say. So I'm sorry for interrupting you there. It was just no, it's it's a strong belief of mine, a, a strong yeah. view. <laughs> yeah, and, and I don't disagree with it. You, well, on the subject of purpose, I, I know that when when you find that thing that you've struggled with your whole life, you know that there's something you're going to be able to help people with because you've had to overcome mm. it again and again and again. From my experience, that challenge continues, which allows that eternal learning that you described to, to continue mm. as well because you're like, I still want to get better in this area and I still want to get better in this yeah. area. What's that area for you? Do you know, I, um, I don't define – this is the freedom I've got from breaking through beliefs. I, I don't define myself with any area anyhow. It's sort of like – I don't like answers. I've, I've learned that because an answer is a belief with a full stop. The answer is that's the answer. That's the evidence and you close your mind to everything else. None of our inventions, I'm looking up the electric light, the electric light, you know, the car, radio, TV, none of them were one idea. Someone had an idea and developed it to its fullest potential. And I go, There's, that's the answer to what I dreamed up. Someone else will see its potential and take it further because they've got a different perspective or a different belief and it keeps getting added to and added to and it gets bigger and bigger and then it can be used for electric lights or whatever so so like everything is open as far as i'm concerned and I, I i allow myself to flow this way and that i'm very holistic i've um, added so many strings to my bow another thing is i'm a health and fitness coach <laughs> so i look at the whole aspect of life and i find I like to just be curious about it all. I, I know that's not a very specific answer, but just allow yourself to open up that nothing is an answer. Everything can be questioned and queried and taken further and understood more. So like none of us are experts at anything. We're just all learning at different levels of experience, really. Um, does, does that answer that question? <laughs> I think uh, it does, and, and, and I don't necessarily agree. I think we're all ex experts at something and, and actually dismiss the idea of 10,000 hours. I think every yeah. single person has got more than like 100,000 hours because there's a, there's a part of them at their essence that they've continued to develop again and again. One yep. particular part, sure, like you can go and do – everyone can go and do a bit of everything, but there's one area that's had a particular – challenge for them and and that's the area that is is the individual's expertise that's that's not just my belief that's my knowing from everyone that i've coached and my own experience as well that there's mm. there's a unique part of every single person that makes them oh, expert. yeah the uniqueness is again that that's that's something that is unique like even though we're all equal value like the jigsaw puzzle pieces are all the same height we're all different shapes because i believe we are all unique and we've all got a unique purpose so we've got to understand what it is and find it ourselves that's why it's good to listen to people and a good coach will help people uncover that in themselves they won't tell them what it is because it, it's so um 
it's so unique you know only that person will be able to uncover it and probably has a good feeling of what that thing could be for them which is probably where you're coming from with me but I don't know if I've defined myself, you know, here's the area I'm really good at or here's the most profound thing I've learned and this is my one message. Um, I just like listening to people. I guess I suppose with me is learning that I'm equally important to as everybody else. There's no one better and no one worse. I think yeah. we're just all capable of, it, of, of the lot. So I think that's been my lesson uh, to value myself as an individual and see everybody else as equal. And that could be part of where your expertise is, right? Because if you Maybe. look at the, yeah, like you, you've mentioned that term, I actually wrote it down at the top, like the, the not deserving part and that taking full responsibility part, like they're, they're things that the world needs, right? And and, yeah. and you, I'm not going to tell you that that's your expertise, but from everything you've described, you, you certainly are ahead of 99.99% of the population in that area because it's... I have passionate views about it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and, yeah and, I, and I share them. Like everyone who's been listening to my podcast for a long time is when I do the individual episodes, I'm talking about that regularly. Full responsibility yeah. is absolutely... Do you know, I, I, that, that word used to trigger me, responsibility and discipline, reminded me too much of someone controlling my life and telling me I had to be responsible and yeah. was something I used to get if I was naughty. Yeah. Um, and, and now it's it, whatever's in the way is the way, right? And that was in my way. And I learned it, it's actually your biggest friend. You're not going to be free until you take responsibility. And discipline is not denying yourself stuff or punishing yourself. It's making sure you get what you really want most. Love <laughs> and it. it's like these are the avenue to what everything you want. And so it, what I used to think was a blocking my way was actually the gateway. Uh, it's really good. Absolutely. Um, I look at the word, actually, one of, my, one of my coaches described it to me. It's it's how you are going to respond. Bad stuff's going to happen. That's life. Yeah. But how you respond is the key part. And the moment, yeah. and I know this because I was stuck in blame for so long, the yeah. moment you're in that place of blame, like you described the victimhood, you, you'll never be able to change. And yeah. even, even yeah. the worst stuff, you've got to respond with what you can control and when you do that that's when you set yourself free yeah blame is saying i can't change that yeah and you can't change what you don't take responsibility for yeah. so it's not taking responsibility as that's my fault i need to be punished or i'm hopeless it's okay that's the result of what i was doing so let's change what i was doing and getting it get a different result your life changes when you realize it yeah 100 percent. so looking forward steve what is the big change that you want to really bring to the world from more of a bigger picture? Uh, good question, Anne. Um, I love win-win, right? So I, I don't make any bones about it. I want to become ri ridiculously, obscenely successful doing what I do because I love reinvesting everything to make what I do bigger and have a further reach. So I just want to reach out to as many men as possible because I see women were downtrodden for so long uh, and they've got unique talents and they have really organized themselves into a force where they they get government funding, they get noticed, they, they're making a difference in their own lives and go them. 
And they're good at sharing their problems and voicing it and expressing themselves without seeking someone to come and solve it. And yet I see us as men doing the, the opposite. We shrink back, we isolate, we don't become a force so that we can't present ourselves as a body and, and be counted for government funding in any area. So we've got to take responsibility for the results we're getting. That's why it's so important to me to be a men coach or a man coach. <laughs> um, so I can help be a part of that and um, just see the change because that was one thing I, I found through my journey through the, you know, the family courts and everything. Um, going through what I was going through, no one was able to be in my shoes and understand what that was like because it was so bizarre, you know, it was very unique. I remember sitting in the family court and um, there was big pamphlet racks, on, you know, on a number of walls full of pamphlets, you know, and I saw that they were there for, you know, uh, abused wives and uh, minority groups and uh, people with problems with drugs and blah, blah, blah. And I thought, I'll, I'll find one for, for men, you know, a men's helpline or something and see if, you know, I can get some help, you know. And, um, you know, I couldn't find a single man uh, pamphlet for men. And I was searching for it for years and I thought, this is, you know, I just couldn't believe it. I thought there's nothing, not even a flipping pamphlet. And then I remember the last year of family court I was going through, I sat, I was sitting down and my eyes just focused on one pamphlet. It was only one left and it said um, men's helpline. Like, oh, my goodness, I found one. I jumped up and I grabbed it and I opened it up and it said, if you're a man and you're feeling angry and you feel like doing something uh, violent, you know, ring this helpline. That's daddy's sort of like so condescending and blaming men for everything and making us feel bad. And it's not giving anyone help or support or going, look, you might feel like a victim. You might have been abused. You might have been, you might really be a victim and need help. You might need refuge. You might need some money or finance or understanding or some psychological treatment. It was none of that. It was just yeah. saying, if you're violent, you're a man, go and get help. Dob yourself in. <laughs> okay. So, um, you know, I mean, I've got a mission. Yeah, keep going. I've got a mission and, you know, it's like try and help men release who they are and overcome the problems that they found themselves in and, and recreate that. Mm, love it. Much needed. And as, as you've pointed out there, because there's just not enough stuff out there. So here's the million-dollar question, Steve. If a man grabbed that pamphlet, what from and this is going to be for your experience because it'll be different for every person, what do they need to see on that pamphlet that will make them think, He's right. I need to call this number. Yeah. Well, I like the way I look at myself and what I do is like if a man is unhappy with the symptoms he's experiencing and he's dealing because what we're really dealing with is the symptoms in our life. You know, we're looking at unhappiness, powerlessness, uh, meaninglessness, you know, don't have a have a purpose. And, but we're, we're dealing with the symptom. We're trying to fight all the symptoms all the time. And I, I go, you know, if you want to get to the root cause of what's been, you know, steering you down the wrong path your whole life, you need to talk to me because you know you're better than that. You know you don't deserve what's happening. You're trying really hard to do the right thing. You're very loyal to strong beliefs. And no matter how hard you try, you're getting worse results. Uh, you need to talk to me and we can help put you onto the right road you i don't think we're, we're doing anything wrong we're just playing the wrong game that's why i call myself the game changer because if you're used to say the life that you want to escape the unhappy life that you you're living and experiencing that you want relief from that happened quite naturally effortlessly because your unconscious beliefs created what you believe unconsciously you deserve 
So yeah. if you can change your beliefs, you can create the life you deserve as effortlessly as you created the one you're trying to escape from. And that's where you need help. I'd say call so me good. and let me help you do that. <laughs> so good. So good. And and from everything you've said in your story, all of those things that you presented there fit perfectly right. Like to, uh, not to harp on this, but but you would be an expert in that area because you've experienced it, you've overcome it, and you know what men need to know to go to that next level, man. So that's really cool. I, I love that. I've got lived experience, you could say. <laughs> I like 100%. to say I'm not, I'm not old, I'm experienced. <laughs> <laughs> no, I wrote that down. You said it before we jumped on and I wrote that down. I love that. Um, yeah. yeah, very good. So what is unique about you, Steve? Yeah, gee, what is unique about me? I th one thing that is unique about me is why I think I'm making such a damn good men's coach because I never wanted to be a man coach is, is my secret. <laughs> and don't tell anyone because I saw so many other men coaches, supposedly men coaches, and it was sort of like a bit, and I don't mean to demean them, This they, they will have a place, I'm sure. Mm. But they pushed me away because I saw them wanting to sit around campfires dressed up as Indians or beating tom-tom drums and having group hugs and trying to encourage men to cry. And and I just thought, that's not what I'm on about. That's not what I'm looking for. That's not what I'm missing, you know. It's a like, so I, I sort of fought against it for a long time. But what I think is making me such a good man coach is the women were such a big influence in my life the whole time. Like I've had more uh, women clients than men although that's starting to change now because the last couple of years i've focused on men only but i am a in disc profiling i'm i'm 50 masculine and 50 uh, feminine in my energy so i think i'm a good conduit having dealt with four daughters uh, and a wife um but I, I don't know i always admire women for their traits um I think I bring that aspect or that perspective into men. Being a man and being 50% masculine in my energy, I can see what motivates them and the way they think and what they need. But at the same time, I think I've got that other perspective, the softer side, the listening and the understanding. And I think I bring a, a, a special picture. And that's why I think I'm a little bit special and, and I'm using that towards men now. Love that. And uh, I, I agree with you with what you described then but i've been i've been down those paths and there is All value right. in that but but from yeah. my experience the common man that that's too scary like that's too too big a step that's not what they want but well it could be fun and it could be cathartic and everything but i don't think that that was my problem none of it was mixed up with me having a, an alpha male uh deficit <laughs> yeah, disorder yeah. you know or or uh, or being although i couldn't cry or laugh at one stage i didn't need to sit around a group of strange men and learn how to do that that i needed to understand i'm the sort of person that has to understand why things are happening and i really love addressing causes instead of symptoms so just to sit around and treat the symptoms around a campfire with other men was never my cup of tea so um that's i think special about me is that i am that way and um maybe that's what I need to bring more out to help people like me. Well, you've brought heap of it out today, Steve. I'm looking forward to seeing that pamphlet up and more <laughs> and because of the yeah. work that you've done, right? And I can tell how passionate you are. And I thank you for coming and sharing your passion in here, sharing your story and, and giving so many pieces of wisdom for the listeners. Thank you. 
Well, mate, I want to thank you too because it's been a thorough pleasure. I love talking about myself, but I love giving the opportunity to do that on on your um, podcast and uh, to really finally meet you face-to-face, even though it's online, because um, I know we've chatted a fair bit online but never had a face-to-face call. So thank you very much, mate. You're welcome, mate. Enjoyed it. Thanks, Steve. Cheers. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Grief Code podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Please share it with a friend or family member that you know would benefit from hearing it too. If you are truly ready to heal your unresolved or unknown grief, let's chat. Email me at info at ianhawkinscoaching.com. You can also stay connected with me by joining the Grief Code community at ianhawkinscoaching.com forward slash the grief code. And remember, so that I can help even more people to heal, please subscribe and leave a review on your favorite podcast platform.